Yeah, this morning our um, exploration of the word and of the topic for the morning is going to take three parts, and hearing from Ian is the first part of that. So Ian, tell us, why did you get involved in prison work? Good morning, everyone. I got involved in prison work because of the cross. Years ago, I was told that the vertical part of the cross represented just how deep God's love is for us. And it doesn't matter how low you go, God is always there. The horizontal part represents how much God loves us. And that love calls us in to many different ministries. For some people, it can be youth work, for others, helping the sick. And for me, it was prison ministry. It's not a light option, is it? Is it a hard ministry to be involved in? It can be at times, but then I say to myself there, for the love of God goes I. I'm sure we've all been led astray in our lives. I know I have. There's been a few times when I've had a little bit too much to drink and I was lucky, God was there, he took care of me, he made sure I got home safe. But for others, a night out can easily end up with a short stay in prison afterwards. Tell us then what the best and the worst bits of prison ministry are for you. The best part is showing God's love to people. As a chaplaincy, we are really the only members of staff who can call prisoners by their first name. Or if they've got a problem, say, look, come over to the chapel, let's have a cup of coffee and discuss this. And it's these little niceties of life which we all take for granted but are denied to people in prison. I think the hardest part is the fact that for many prisoners, families see them as a black sheep of the family and they don't have any contact with them. As Christmas approaches, there will sadly be a lot of prisoners who won't even get a Christmas card from their wives, their children or their parents. So Ian, what do you think the church can do to support this ministry? Prison Fellowship offer a letter-writing scheme, and I'm hoping that several members of the congregation would like to get involved. All letters go via a P.O. box, and for a prisoner who doesn't have any contact with anyone, to have a letter from someone who says, we think you're special in God's eyes, can make a huge difference to their lives. So for more information about that, and if you'd like one of the special Prisons Week prayer um, leaflets, please do see Ian afterwards. Thanks, Ian. That was a very silent... That was a very silent cue there, wasn't it? So it's, as you probably gather, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Can everyone hear okay? And it's entitled, Paul and the False Prophets. I hope you will put up with me in the little foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the snake's cunning, 
your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. I do not think I'm in the least inferior to those super apostles. I may indeed be untrained as a speaker, but I do have knowledge. We've made this perfectly clear to you in every way. Was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. And when I was with you and needed something, I was not a burden to anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I've kept myself from being a burden to you in any way and will continue to do so. As surely as the truth of Christ is in me, nobody in the regions of Achaia will stop this boasting of mine. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And I will keep on doing what I'm doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. I repeat, let no one take me for a fool. But if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I'm not talking to the, as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. 
I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Asetes has the city of the Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Andrew. That was beautifully read. It was like hearing it from the lips of the apostle himself. Let's pray. Father, sometimes we feel strong and sometimes we know we are weak. Teach us the nature of both and transform us into your likeness. Amen. Okay, for the second bit of um, our subject this morning, I'd like to introduce you via a video to a friend of mine. Um, a few years ago, my eldest son, Nat, went to do some work experience with Graham Seed in his charity that works with ex-offenders, and he would periodically ring me and tell me what he was up to. So one night he rang me and he said, Mum, I'm going out for a drink tonight with an ex-crack cocaine dealer. And I said, okay, darling, have a lovely time. Um, only an absolute trust in the power of God to change lives would allow a mother to say that to her teenage son. But one night he rang me and he said, Mum, I'm going out for fish and chips tonight with the most dangerous man from the British prison system. So I said, okay, darling, have a nice time. Um, anyway, it turned out that this chap, Shane, uh, was brought up in the same town as me and we'd been to the same primary school. And Shane and I became friends. So I'd like you to watch this story of our friend Shane. Are we a minute in, Steve? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> First of all, Shane, tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, my background is really, um, I grew up with the wrong kind of people. And when I was younger, I started to uh, burgle houses and pinch cars and to steal anything I could off people, really. But while I was doing this, I had an uncle who had a reputation for being a fighter and being hard. He was my god. I used to love walking down the street with him because people used to speak about him. And it just, from then on, I decided that I wanted to be, I wanted to be hard. I wanted people to respect me. And uh, do I carry on? With yeah, yeah, you no. keep going. <laughs> and then I, I, can't, I wanted people to respect me. And uh, little did I know, I was going to be one of them. Want, be classed as one of Britain's youngest, most dangerous people at the time. But I just started to um, 
fight people who had a name for themselves. Uh, I started stabbing people up, booting people's doors in, selling drugs. And eventually it led to me being on the run for, uh, I was on the run first for kidnapping, attempted murder, and just all the other stuff, Section 18s and everything what come on. And I eventually got caught for all them and ended up going to a home house prison in the northeast. And I had a hatred for the system, for authority. So I ended up, because uh, the officer wouldn't let me go to the gym, I went out my cell and I stabbed uh, two prison officers. Uh, I stabbed one three times and one once. And uh, it led to me going to maximum security prisons. And from then on, I just raged war against the, the prison system. And it led to me being put in a CSC cell, close supervision. It's where a maximum security prison is for dangerous prisoners. But within a maximum security prison, there's the dangerous, dangerous prisoners. And I had to be, they can't open your door unless there's riot shields and riot gear. And they have to feed you through a hatch in the door with locks because I can't have physical contact with you. And that just led on for years, going from prison to prison, selling drugs, fighting the system, assaulting officers, assaulting inmates, and that just happened for six or seven years, until eventually, do I go on to the... Yeah, Until <laughs> <I> event, <laughs> no. eventually, I ended up... I met a man called Robert Bull, and he was a, a born-again Christian. He'd come and tell me, Jesus loves you and all. I just think it was an absolute crackpot, really. That's what I thought. And uh, he used to come with little leaflets, and he'd like, what, why, uh, why Jesus and stuff like that, and pull them through my door, and I just chuck them on the side and thought nothing of it. And then eventually I ended up, uh, prison, about 10 prison officers come to my cell door and told me I had to go to segregation because I'd been put under an investigation into smuggling drugs into the prison and um, subversive behaviour. And I didn't know what subversive behaviour was, so I asked them, they said, get a dictionary. So I got a dictionary, and it, what they were trying to say is that I was trying to use some sort of power to overthrow their authority. But while I was down, down there, I got a, um, a vision in my head, like as if he was in front of me, of this Christian, and, and, and God telling me, to, an urge telling me to write my letter. And I just, I, for days it was in my head, so eventually, because it was doing my head in, I wrote my letter. And he wrote back saying, Jesus is trying to touch your heart, let go of your heart. And I just thought, we definitely lost it. No, <laughs> you know, well, you just don't hear that kind of stuff. And eventually I went to Long Larkin Prison, to a maximum security prison. And when I was in there, I ended up uh, going in on an Alpha. Someone mentioned the Alpha course, but I wasn't, my name wasn't down to go on it. So I walked walk in on an Alpha course, and it was most of the way through. And I sat in and thought nothing of it, and I was, someone was like, oh, it's, I started arguing about science proves the Bible wrong and everything, you know, we come from the Big Bang and stuff like that. <laughs> and then eventually, um, it's, I, went to get, I went to get up and someone said, oh, you get free chocolate biscuits, biscuits and gattos, I said, get my name down. <laughs> you know, I, wanted, I didn't go for God, I went for the chocolate biscuits and the gattos. <laughs> but eventually, I come to the Holy Spirit day, they dedicated a day on the course, don't it, to the Holy Spirit. And one of them come and prayed for me and prayed in tongues and I didn't know what that was and I felt a bit daft at the time and thought nothing happened I felt I remember feeling a bit disappointed but nothing happened and then eventually uh, I can't remember if it was on the day or another course uh, the, the pastor come to me and said I've never done this in the 20 odd years I've worked here but God's telling me to tell you uh, to come here on your own this afternoon wait there a minute <laughs> getting emotional here uh, so I went, and he prayed and said, like, no, 
some verse out of the Bible about Jesus forgiving you and Jesus loving you and you know, you've just got to let go of your heart and come to Jesus and stuff. And then he prayed for me and he said, just pray. And I said, God, I hate who I am. We are there. I said, God, I hate who I am, who I've become. Uh, come into my life. And I started talking a bit. And as I started talking, I started to feel something in my stomach. Uh, I don't know if it was an energy feeling, because I don't know what energy feels in your stomach, but I, I just felt something in my stomach, and I describe it as a, an energy feeling in my stomach. And it started to raise up and raise up and raise up and raise up. And then I just cried, uncontrollably cried and cried and cried and cried. And, and from then on, just totally transformed my life. I went from being one of Britain's youngest, most dangerous prisoners overnight. I ended up working in the chaplaincy in the prison. I ended up um, getting enhanced. Prison officers were my friends. They become my friends. They were speaking to me. And knowing there's a verse in the Bible that says, your enemies will become your friends, doesn't it? And it was just, my life just totally transformed. And then I got released, and uh, I can't stop preaching to people, really. <laughs> I, I, I just preach to everybody. I can't help it. My mum chucks me out of the house. <laughs> no, she does. <laughs> my mum, literally, you know, if I start mentioning Jesus now, she's like, shut up or get out. <laughs> you know. So it's just, my life's totally, uh, totally, I can't explain it. It's just... Like non-Christian, Christian denom like denominations, non-Christian, like what do you call them? Like businesses and stuff. Who, who don't? They're not Christians, but they're inviting me in to give testimonies, like job centres, uh, a place called New Deal. They're inviting me in to go in and speak to people about my story, and they're not even Christians. And, and you know, and the staff members where I go, I just preach to everybody. You know, so I just all I can say is my life has totally changed. You got so. married. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that. And uh, I, I met a, a beautiful wife. She wasn't my wife then, obviously, but she's my wife now. And, you know, I've got a beautiful little wife. And I've got two little children, a little daughter and a... Two little daughters, sorry. And I've got a little boy on the way. Nerves. So my life's just absolutely amazing. Just have all glory to God and thank, thank you, Jesus. Mm. Thank you, Shane, very, very much indeed. Isn't God good? Um, I spoke to Shane yesterday and I said, look, Shane, I'm going to tell the people in Shropshire about uh, your story. What do you want me to say to them? And he said this, he said, tell them, I'm grateful to God that he put Christians in prison or I would not be where I am now. I have a wife and four kids, which I feel tears as I say that. If the church didn't help us, this is all in uppercase now, right? If the church didn't help us, prisoners are in trouble. That's how much of an impact yous have had on me. Christians helped and I'm now saved. Praise God. Praise God indeed. Okay, so on to our reading. Please have 2 Corinthians chapter 11 open on your knees. I think it's page 1164, or is it 1162? Have a flick anyway. Okay, today um, I've got two brief points, and these are they. Know your weakness, and know the source of your power. 
First thing, know your weakness. Paul's telling us that God's plan for humanity is that we will be sincerely and purely devoted to him, just as he is devoted to us. And as Genesis tells us, this plan went a bit wrong at the fall. We have this scenario with a snake and the apple in which Adam blamed Eve and Eve blamed the serpent and the serpent, as they say, didn't have a leg to stand on. Come on, guys, it's funnier than that. (laughs) Shane said something really interesting at the beginning of his interview there. He said he grew up with the wrong kind of people. His role models were violent and intimidating, and he aspired to being like that himself. He said, didn't he, that his uncle, the hard man, was his god. Now, church, we all need to belong. We all want people we can look up to. We all want affirmation from others, But let's make sure that we model ourselves first and foremost on Jesus Christ and on the Word. You see, people can seem charming and persuasive. We touched on this in in our confession that we so easily go with clever arguments or charm or we're so easily drawn into the wrong things or in neglecting the things that God cares about. Church, don't be deceived. God's aim is not your happiness or an easy life. God's aim is your holiness. He wants your wholehearted devotion because that is where you will be most content. I've um, struggled this week as I've read this passage to work out what I think God might be wanting to say to us today. Um, You know, I love preaching. I I love the opportunity to put myself under the authority of Scripture before you lot do, so I can go where I'm trying to take us. Um, I think it's a real privilege to do that. Um, But I've struggled this week, and my usual over-planning hasn't really uh, kicked in for that reason. But I wonder if God might be saying this to us, that your greatest strength is the area which has the potential to become your greatest weakness. Your greatest strength may be the area which has the potential to become your greatest weakness. Psychologists talk about the dark side or the shadow self, the side of us that is the flip side of our strengths and our response to our strengths when we're under pressure. You know, the enemy wants to hit you in your strengths because he knows that the strengths God has given you will be his downfall. And he doesn't understand the strength of weakness. You know, Shane was a strong man. He was the strongest, most intimidating man in the British prison system. But look where that got him. The strongest bit of that whole video was that big, tough man breaking down in tears 
when he was talking about how God changed his life. In his weakness, he became truly free. In his weakness, Christ transformed him. In his weakness, he became strong. The hard man became the gentle husband and father. Now, don't get me wrong. He hasn't become a complete softy. His greatest pride seems to be that his three-year-old son is a great boxer. (laughs) But Shane Taylor has become the Shane Taylor that the father envisaged at the beginning of time. His greatest strength is now his weakness. I'm going to stop here, you see, because, um, as I say, I'm not quite sure what it is that God wants to say this morning, so I'm going to let him say it. Um, I think it may be this kind of your greatest strength can become your greatest weakness. I also think there's an element of something that that Paul said um, in the passage struck me. He said something like, I do not think I am in the least inferior to anybody else. Um, I wonder if there are people here this morning who feel inferior that others have made them feel inferior. I don't know. It it might be something completely different. But what I want to do is just to give you some time to hear God, just a a minute or so, just to listen and ask God what it is he wants to say to you about the strength of weakness and who you are in him. So let's just listen for a moment now. Thank you, Lord, for your willingness to speak to us. If, if there's anything that's been raised there in that brief time, we, we would love to pray with you later on. After you've come to take communion, if you just go to the back, we'll get a few people to come and pray with you, um, if that's okay. Um, so when you've taken communion and you'd like us to pray, go to the back. If you aren't able to make it to the back, um, send somebody to get one of us and we'll come and pray with you. Please don't go home this morning not knowing how God wants to work in your strengths and your weaknesses and not knowing that you are created in his image and you are inferior to no one. If you need prayer for that, let us know uh, or go to the back after we've taken communion. Thanks, Cameron. Briefly, uh, our second point. Know the source of your power. Very powerful words that Shane said in that video when he said, God, I hate who I am. Come into my life. And that totally transformed him. He got enhanced status. Suddenly the prison officers were his friends. It's not about your strength It's about God's power working in our weakness. That makes you stronger than you could ever, ever be without him. Paul had a really 
impressive set of credentials. I think it's really funny the way he says, I'm not going to show off, but, and then he lists them all. Um, you know, he had impressive education. He had impressive ethnic credentials, if that's what floats your boat. And he had an impressive list of things he'd gone through for the gospel. Really impressive list. Not one I personally aspire to, but uh, impressive nonetheless. But the thing he takes pride in showing off about in this passage is quite interesting. He seems to want to show off about the fact that when he was in danger, God rescued him by putting him in a basket and lowering him down from a building Similarly, Shane isn't showing off about his physical strength, impressive though that might be. What he wants to show off about is God's deliverance, God's saving power. It's the last time I'll get to speak to you on uh, 2 Corinthians. It's been quite a journey, hasn't it? I'm away on curate training next week, so I won't be here for the final session, which we'll be looking at, the persecuted church. But um, I just want to flick forward with you to a chapter we won't be covering, chapter 13. Have a look at verse 4. It says this, He was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. The creator of the universe chose to submit himself to human power to die at our hands so that God's mighty resurrection power would be seen in him. It's what we celebrate when we come to the Lord's table, the strength of weakness in a capsule this morning, and we're all going to participate in it. I wonder what God's taught you about the strength of weakness over the past few weeks. You see, the cross tells us that the strength of weakness is not about superhuman effort to overcome the things we are weak at. It's about grace. And you know, church, grace is not a concept. Grace has a name. Jesus Christ. Just have a look with me at the last verse of uh, 2 Corinthians. It's what we have come to call the grace. I'm going to invite you to say the grace in a moment, to pray over one another that the grace that is Jesus Christ will be with us all as he transforms us into his likeness. So let's pray together. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.